So our next guest on The Wine Show Australia is Lucy Clements. Good morning, Lucy. Good morning. How are you? Very, very well. Thank you for joining us on The Wine Show on a Sunday morning. My pleasure. I also, like you guys, set 15 alarms. So, yeah. <laughs> it proves just you're prepared. only human. You're only human. We're professionals. <laughs> and so, I was worried about daylight savings. So I was like, I don't yeah. know if I'm going to get this wrong. So uh, there we yeah. go. Well, well, that's the thing, because not only is the fact that you're half an hour behind the station time anyway, then when you do the change of the clock, it's like, hang on, am I half an hour behind or half an hour in front now? Yeah. <laughs> and then you throw it into the mix when I'm in the Gold Coast. It's a whole nother ball game. Yeah. So, oh my goodness, yeah, it's, it gets interesting. But Luce, thank you so much for for joining us. Um, you are very well connected, young lady in this wine industry. And <laughs> so, there's there are quite a few things we want to touch on today. And I'd I'd love you to start with telling us uh, your story of how you got into the industry in the first place, and um, and maybe just touch on a few of your career highlights, including, of course, Accolade Wines, because um, you and I actually, yeah. even though we haven't met in person, we've uh, we've both worked there. So, how how about we start with that and we'll touch on our Vintelect a bit later. Sure thing. So I um, I had a kind of cute story of how I got into wine, which is uh, which is fun. I'm from the Barossa um, originally and I don't live there now, but uh, from the Barossa and I did a glass washing um, cash job at St. Hallett when I was <laughs> probably 16 years old. Nice. Um, so with a group of girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> There were the dishwashers were not keeping up. It was the Barossa Gourmet Weekend. Oh no! And um, and at the time, the Saint Helens was owned by the Banksy Group. We had this lovely manager there, Richard Sheedy, and washed glasses. And on one of the evenings that I was washing glasses, there was a marquee set up on the lawns at Saint Helens, and it was the winemakers' gala dinner. They were having a wow of a time. It was this. There was this raucous celebration and I thought wow maybe that's what winemakers do I need to get into wine and um, so it was really the lure of the party um, but also combined with um, combined with with I'm, I'm a super super duper francophile so I really love France and uh, I was in chemistry I was doing chemistry in year 12 at the time so I had somehow convinced myself that all of this chemistry knowledge that I really loved might mean if I followed the party and become a winemaker then I could go to France and make wine um, and luckily, I did do just that many, many times over. But um, that's how I got into wine. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I, I'm wondering uh, which part of the Barossa are you from? Well, from Kununga Hill, actually. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, good there on Kununga there Hill. Were no, there were no grapes there. Um, Mum and Dad owned 100 acres out there. Biggest regret was probably we didn't put grapes out there. Mm. But, um, yeah, Barossa born and bred. Yeah. So who's your, nice. footy, who's your footies team up there? Are you a, ti- are you a oh, Tigers no, fan? Man. No, much more so um, Kapunda side because my dad was actually a GP on Kapunda. Right. So uh, in Kapunda, which is only 20 minutes around the other direction from, from Kanunga Hill. Yeah. Um, but I went away to boarding school quite early as well. So I never really re- never really grew up in the Barossa, really. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Such so a beautiful city. It's still home. Yeah. Where are you living now? You just mentioned that you're no longer in the Barossa. Yeah, living living in Adelaide now. Um, okay. After many many years living in London, living in the US, um, living in Melbourne, found my way back to Adelaide. No one was more surprised than me. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. We, we come cool. back we to our roots. We, we just do. You know, I'm not saying I'm going to move back to Tamworth one day, but you never know. I could. Like you, <laughs> you just don't know. know. So, Luce, you've just um, you've just finished up your role at Accolade. Yes. How, many, how many years were you there? 
I was there for six years. Yeah. Six okay. incredible years. Um, super challenging. Learned uh, a massive amount. Um, an incredible experience to have had for sure. So you you were um, uh, I guess you were like op- there were operations of the ANZ kind of like a, a luxury brands. Would that be right? Yeah, I was running mm. all of the premium wineries, mm. um, which is really all the wineries except for Berry across Australia and New Zealand. So yeah, um, a big portfolio to work with. Massive, massive. big yeah. portfolio, big amount of teams, big business, mm. um, and just an incredible stretch across so many different. Um, brands, beautiful wines, of course, mm. working super closely with the viticulture team. Yeah, it, it was a superb, um, a superb role for three of the six years. And the three years before that, I was um, the group commercial winemaker for running the winemaking team at Berry Estates, which also, uh, you know, complete contrast. Very different. I, um, yeah, and, and actually was really good for me because that's not my background at all in commercial mm. winemaking, but it was incredible to learn um, how to run a winery that's really just that big and make wine, make world-class standard wine um, yeah. on an incredibly large scale. Yes. So an immense yes. privilege to have learnt um, there and guided the team, made some big um, MPD products that were very successful mm. and um, yeah it was just a, an amazing experience being out there as well. Lucy can you just explain to our listeners the difference between the scale of something like Berry which is enormous mm-hmm. and you know something they might know like and so let's not even talk about Accolade let's talk about St Hallett versus Berry right so Berry is massive. Yeah good call. Yeah I just think yeah. it'd be good for them to understand the, the scale. Mm. So in the in the wine making world, we'll talk about tons through, um, through the Dway Bridge. Yep. So Berry, so by contrast, Berry is about two hundred and two hundred thousand tons on average. Yes. And Saint Haller is about um, four thousand tons on <laughs> yeah. average. Yeah. yeah. There we go. So, and, yeah. And there you go. Clonakilla yeah, is about three hundred tons, and Medhurst Raceway is about about eighty tons. So it's like you're going from boutique yeah. to small to sort of not. I wouldn't Absolutely. call St. Hallett's medium to large. I would say, and then Berry's Berry's big, enormous. But um, Berry's the, big, and it's funny because the winemaking techniques are exact, are actually identical, except for. The use of oak barrels is yeah. literally right. the only difference. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. The, the other thing about that is that I'd like to enlighten some of the, the listeners on as well is it's like if you've got, you know, 30 acres of Chardonnay and three viticulturalists and everything's handpicked and the vineyard's 40 years old, I reckon Jill yeah. and I could, uh, no offence, but I reckon Jill and I could probably make a reasonable Chardonnay. Like I'm not a qualified yeah. winemaker, <laughs> but I've made I've made wine, right? Yeah. But I, there's no yep. way I could make 300,000, 3 million something litres of no. Chardonnay taste anywhere near good because the it's the art of, of making things better from, you know, a lot of fruit, isn't it? Yeah. I think that you're absolutely right. The way you've tapped into that is absolutely right. The challenge of um, making wine on a very large scale is the fact that you've got grapes that have come from a very large scale. And those grapes don't have, not every time, sometimes they do, but not every time don't have the meticulous care. So, yeah, you're actually making, um, it's a bit like cooking with, you know, artisanal saffron versus commercially made, you know, or vanilla, right? Natural vanilla versus artificial vanilla, you know. Clearly, berries not artificial, but you know what I mean. Your raw oh, yeah. ingredients are a little bit different 
So, yeah, you have to work harder in commercial, in the big wineries, mm. to get the standard where you need it to be. Now, thankfully, the Riverland is a beautiful place to grow grapes, so you have incredible sunshine. Yep. At the moment, amazing access to water, um, which is mm. um, plentiful. So it's actually a really easy place to grow grapes. Mm. Um, but you've just got to pull out the nuances in the wines a little bit more carefully. Um, but, I mean, notwithstanding, making wine in Mornington Peninsula, say, at Stonia, which yeah. is part of the Accra portfolio, presents a whole nother challenge yeah. for um, maritime viticulture and whatnot. So, you yeah. know, no matter where you're doing it, growing grapes is really, really hard. Yeah. Making wine is always a little bit easier than growing grapes. I always take my hat off to the to the guys and girls who run the vineyard teams and the viticultural yeah. science, very difficult skill. Yeah. Absolutely. Can, can I just quickly ask, when it comes to Riverland, there's a bit of a stigma attached to that region, isn't it? Is yeah. That, yeah. Do you, do, you, do you see that change? Do you know, we... yeah, it's a, it's a really funny one and it's, it's actually a little bit of an Australianism that we sort of turn our noses up at the Riverland and the royal we, that being. Um because in other countries, and this is uh, very lucky when I was a buyer for the best part of 10 years to travel around the world a hundred times over and mm. go to wine regions making inexpensive wine, just like the Riverland. And actually, Australia is probably more negative towards its inland regions than you would see any other country being towards its inland or more mass-produced regions. So, for instance, in the south of France, as you know, we've got the Languedoc Roussillon down there, and even Provence. Provence is an enormous wine producing region. It sure is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely enormous. And the wineries yeah. there, most of them are kind of like berry estates. Yeah. Really? You know, it's mostly cooperative wineries. The little tiny ones that we hear about mm. are the significant minority. So, and the same right. in the Languedoc, you've got beautiful villages all over the place. And then you've got the majority of cooperatives, which are really big wineries made yeah. to produce fantastically priced wines because their overheads are so low. So yeah. we are a little bit negative about the Riverland more so than you'd see in France or Spain yeah. or Italy or something like that. I'm so, actually happy yeah, to you know hear what? you say that, though, because it's, in yeah. a way I think it's like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad uh, fact of Australian um, uh, attitude, yeah. but but I am glad to hear that it's not really anything about the region itself. It's just, I guess, no. it's, it's stigma, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, we can change it's that. Kinda, it's kind of a marketing thing. It's kind of a bit of a vibe. Mm. Um, and, and funnily enough, when we host international buyers, international winemakers into the Riverland, um, they, for starters, you know, are always enthralled by the fact that the word Riverland or the word Sunraysia or the word Riverina, because we're talking yes. about all of our three in other regions, mm. are beautiful words. You know, for them, it's really marketable. Mm. For them, they see no stigma. For mm. them, they're like, wow, the quality of these lines is great. Um, but actually, yeah, we as a country don't. So, yeah, I think we've got, to, we've got to push for that. How do we do more of it? I think it's actually how, – how do we change the image, I think, is mm. to really highlight that – uh, it's not mass, it's not all mass produced. There is a large percentage which is, and that's okay, yeah. because a large percentage of the world want to drink wine that never changes the way it tastes. Yeah. Mm. Um, but then, 
Um, Rick Terra would, would, would be a good example. Rick Terra, right? Exactly. Like a small, a small boutiquey kind of people that are doing great stuff, um, you know. And there, totally. are, there are a number of others. Uh, I, I sort of yeah. liken it to it's a bit like La Mancha in Spain. And well, mm-hmm. me, I work at I work at Dan Murphy's, right? So the the classic example yep. would be people are happy to spend ten bucks on a Paul Mass Merlot from the Languedoc. Yeah. Why aren't they spending ten bucks uh-huh. on a Riverland Merlot? And you're right. It's it is about marketing and you're stuff. You're so, so right. Yeah. But and I've met and you know on the Paul Mass subject, that's such a good one. I've met Jean Claude Mass yeah. many times he's a when legend. I was a buyer. Yeah. He's a legend. Been to his been to his wineries. Been yeah. to his estates. Yeah. It's it's basically it's like going to the Riverland. You're in the driest part of the universe down yeah. um, Bézier Narbonne, where he is. Yeah. But he has cultivated this beautiful brand, which speaks to more, um, but really also highlights the, the perfection of growing grapes in that part of the world. Same stuff, right? We just need to, we just need to do it. We just need to believe in it ourselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Fair enough. So yeah. I think we've already done a good job just now of spruiking, especially because this gets turned into totally. a podcast. Yeah. So let's do that. But look, talking about spruiking, let's spruik your new venture, Vintellect. Tell us, tell yeah. us about it. What the philosophy is, and because this is very new. I mean, I'm sure you've been working on it for years, but you've literally very just new, left yeah. Accolade in the last couple of weeks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've had Vintage up my sleeve for about four years, mm-hmm. and um, and it was an idea of how how can I go out and sort of walk back into the international arena, which I really love, and do all of the wear all of the hats that I've sort of gathered over the years from. Um, advising in vineyards, which will always be a little bit less of what I do than than others, but all the way from vineyard through to sales. So um, having combined my winemaking, which is where I'm classically trained as a winemaker from Adelaide University, through to the 10 years of buying, with running businesses, with um, my international connections, which is really just a lovely family of people that do run around the world in the same circles. And, um, you know, I was able to bring it all into one banner as Vintelect. So so really very humbling experience to start Vintelect because I've had an overwhelming amount of work um, come in my direction. I have a long list of clients and I was actually lying awake last night slightly um, concerned about how I'm actually going to do all of this work, um, which is which is a great problem to have, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, Vintelect is, is all about growing wine businesses. So, um, so to start with, I'm doing a, I'm part of, I'm a CEO for a, for a wine business, which I, unfortunately, I can't tell you who they are, but I'm a CEO <laughs> and I do that in a part, I do that in a part-time capacity. Right. Um, I have, um, which is a great honour as well to, to be in the role in the C-suite, in the role there, because that's a great, huge responsibility, but one that I um, take very seriously. Um, I have international market development, international wine development, um, and opening doors through to the UK and the US, which are two of the markets that I know the best. Yeah. I'm doing some bro- international wine brokering, which is quite fun. Um, so sourcing for other people and and finding exactly those wines that they're looking for. At this stage, more on the bulk end, but I think we'll get closer to the imported bottle end as well right. um, because that's sort of – that's kind of uh, that's kind of my bread and butter because I did it for so long when I was a buyer. Um, and then general advisory, which is lovely. You know, what, what, what would – how do you sell to a retailer? You know, how do you put together a price – 
um, a price strategy so that your wine will A, get onto the shelf and B, um, will will be promoted in the way that you think um, it should be. And actually just talking to people about what it means to get wine into a retailer and whatnot. So um, Vintelect is, is at the moment a bit of everything, um, but I think it will naturally focus more on the finishing off the portfolio from a winemaking point of view right. and then taking it through to sales. So we're focusing on the back half. And actually, I've had some lovely reach-outs from other women who are also running their own advisory um, firms, advisory practices, Great. which are focusing more on vineyards and winemaking. Mm-hmm. And actually, there are some really lovely connections mm-hmm. there. where so we, joining can, the we dots, can work together. Joining the dots up nicely there. Uh, exactly. If, if, you've just, <laughs> if you've just joined us, uh, you're listening to The Wine Show Australia. We've got Lucy Clements on the line. Lucy, I've had a text come through here from KR that says... Hi, Jill mm-hmm. and Richo. Can you please ask Lucy what her favourite wine was to make and what her favourite wine is to drink? Oh, that's Big, a good pretty, one. Pretty broad um, question, but gives you I a lot of options questions. there. <laughs> yeah, me too. To make. Favourite wine to make. Well, I'm going to give you two. The the favourite wine to make because it's just so it's so brilliantly terrifying is is actually to make high-end rosé because you have to work so hard to get the colour right and to build texture. Texture and you have to start with the most magnificent quality grapes. So so high-end rosé is terrifying but so much fun because when you get it right, I just think rosé is one of the most beautiful drinks in the world. You know, it's so evocative of of sunshine and summer and all those sort of things. Mm. So... um, but really the, the favourite to make, and it is what I did specialising a lot when I was in winemaking pre my UK retail buying days, was um, sparkling wine, um, bottle fermented sparkling wine. And I did a vintage, um, 2007 vintage at Tattinger in Champagne as oh, well. Cool. Very um, nice. was very lucky to get that gig <laughs> and learned <laughs> a lot of what I know there. But, um, yeah, sparkling one, again, terrifyingly difficult to do. It requires more patience than I really have. Um, but <laughs> to look into the crystal ball when yeah. you're blending, you yeah, know, amazing. on the assemblage, incredibly difficult. And I know you've spoken to Ed. You've had Ed on the show. Yeah. Um, and I'm so lucky to have worked with Ed Carr for so yes. long. What a legend. Um, mm. The man does have the patience to do that, which is why he is making the best sparkling wine in Australia. Um, uh, in, in, in the yeah. world, yeah. In the world, exactly. <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. Do you know, fa- but favourite wine to drink right yeah. now? Right now. Is, right now, I am obsessed with Chakalee from San Sebastian. Oh, yeah, cool. Oh, I love that stuff. And it's naturally lighter in alcohol. So yeah. when you're greedy like me, you can drink more of it. Yes. <laughs> but just... All the tastes like green things. apples. Yeah, it's, and you you drink it out of a tum you drink it out of a tumbler. There's a pouring ritual, yep. the whole shebang, right? Yep. Going into summer, why wouldn't you? What what, what do you magical. do with that, or, or don't you? What what oh, do like you salty do? Salty prawns, salty prawns, or ham on, or something yep. just salty. Salt and, yeah. salt and pepper squid from mm. a from a Vietnamese yeah. restaurant. Amazing with chakali. Yeah, yeah. So chakali's on my mind at the moment. Um, 
and thank goodness for Scott Wadsley, who brings in some great stuff. So, yes. yeah, yeah. We've, um, we're, very, we're very lucky we can get that in Australia now. We couldn't get it a while ago, yeah. so here it is. I yeah. want to focus <laughs> just quickly. We've got a few minutes left, Lucy. That, that phrase yeah. that you said, which I just loved, it really lit up for me, was brilliantly terrifying. Um, you know, making rays out. I, I love that. I just, I love the notion of that. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about Provence being quite a big region there. But if you've got, if you've got five minutes to live and you've got to drink a French rosé, what are you going to drink? <laughs> oh, straight to the top, um, straight to the top for sort of domain art and into the into the ultra luxe category of rosé. Yeah. Tompier for Which me, I, I reckon. Think yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just Tompier. go straight for Tom. Yeah, I love the, it. The the ultra luxe rosé category, and you see it with um, oh, there's one in Spain that comes up in MW exams because I'm halfway to MW. Oh, so yeah. I'm remembering. I was Spanish, going to ask Spanish. you about that. Yeah, there's there's a pretty yeah, good Mar- Marquez de Murrieta make a very good premium rosé, but it's not like an, it's not yeah, ultra yeah, luxe. Yeah. That's a nice wine. But. There's an uh, there's an oaky one that comes up occasionally. I can't oh. remember. I'll I'll text it back in when I jump off. Yeah, so cool. that you know what it is. But but rosé with it, those extra ethereal layers. I yeah. just think we do it with white wine. We do it with chardonnay. We do it with reds. But rosé, we often forget, can carry so much more, so many more elements than yeah. we need to. Despite the fact that it needs, you know, you want to see freshness. You'll naturally get that if you use the right grapes. So I just think it's the most exciting category. And in fact, speaking of MW, I remember when I passed the theory a couple of years ago, I remember writing this genuinely fun essay about causes for joy in the world of wine. It was a, it was a great question, like in a world of, you know, in this horrible world that we live in now, what are the causes for joy? And I basically wrote a whole essay on rosé. Um, and and There's your passion right there. <laughs> uh, and somehow yeah. I passed, which was good fun. So, oh, yeah. they, they were just looking, they would have read that and just gone, yeah, bloody oath. Um, I, I often thought, <laughs> and I know it's different, but champagne rosé, for me, drinking Laurent Perrier rosé, sparkling rosé, is like drinking sunshine. That is what it's like Absolutely. for me. It's just so joyous. And, and they're pink, you know. They tap into that mm. third dimension of sight, which we always we always forget about as wine people. That just the look of something can make you make you thirsty, you know. And yeah. great, beautiful, on point colours in rosé can really make yeah. you just want to devour it. So Honestly, I'm clearly Billy, a big fan of rosé, sparkling rosé. That's yeah. my that that's my probably absolute fave. It's, yeah, it's it's pretty special. Uh, I remember oh, I was no. um, now Lucy you you could relate to this with all the international travel I used to work for Pernod Ricard winemakers as a brand ambassador in Europe and I got a business oh, upgrade yeah it was good fun but I got a business upgrade to first class once flying back from Europe and um, I never drank on a plane because you know you get off in your work and they're like right yeah. uh, do you want a glass of champagne sir and I was like nah not really they're like it's pretty good Okay, what is it? 04 Dom Perignon Rosé. Yeah. I'm not turning that back. Served on Magnum. Served from Magnum. Okay. And you drank the whole Magnum. Uh, uh, Well, I may have had one or two, Jill. I'm not. uh, But the thing, after that, they they started pulling out some even better wines after that. Yeah. Wow. You've got got a drink on. On on, on business of first class, you've got to be taking advantage of it. You're paying Uh, for it. Oh, I never paid for it. But but I, I remember 
I remember doing a trip down to South Africa when I was early, uh, early as a buyer and I did have a little bit too much to drink on the way back to London and I vowed at that moment never to drink on a plane again. And do you know what, annoyingly, 10 years later, I actually have kept that up. Oh, I have actually, I have you. never had a drink on a plane yeah. since that moment. It is, it is very up like different drinking man. in the air. Uh, it depends on what plane you're on, Jill, though. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not often in, in business class anymore, you know. Yeah. Once upon a time, business class all the way, baby. Not anymore. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the Airbus A380, I think, one of them's got like a – it's got a fully pressurised cabin, but it's also at 70% humidity. So, like, food tastes good and things, you know. But the, the baller wow. moment the baller moment was having a shower on the plane. That was that was the – <laughs> probably the best the shower could just be so fun. <laughs> probably the best moment of my life. Um, exactly. but, <laughs> I totally won that hands down. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, sadly, we have come to the end of our time uh, this morning. But thank you so much, Lucy Clements, for joining us on the Wine Show Australia. Thank you so much for having me. What a privilege.